0: Oh, I, I should leave that. Hey, glad you guys are here today. Um, like I said, I, I think we can be serious and have fun at the same time, right? We can talk about things that are serious. We can deal with things that are meaningful, but also laugh and, and have a good time while we're at it, and, and even occasionally give the kids a little bit of candy. Parents, you are welcome. You are welcome. Um, before I dive into this sermon, we do, have, uh, we do have a guest here with us today. Kendall, I'm going to invite you to come forward. Kendall Keeler is here with us. Um, And Kendall's going to be sharing something in a moment, but something that he wasn't prepared to share with you about, but that I wanted to mention. Um, Kendall, over the next year, is going to be preaching about once a month at Andrew's Bridge. Christian Fellowship. And one of the things that we do from time to time here, but not as much as we ought to, is to pray for some of our other churches in the area. And so I'm going to ask you guys, a lot of you know Andrews Bridge Christian Fellowship. It's up on 896, uh, just into Lancaster County. Um, They are in a transition time this week. Their pastor, Nate Myers, has an opportunity to go to seminary in California, and he's leaving next week go do that. And so Christmas Eve was his last service at Andrew's Bridge. They had a wonderful send-off, and everything was very nice. But um, Amos Stoltzfus, formerly of Rockville Mennonite Church, is going to be the interim pastor there for about a year. And Kendall's going to be helping with the preaching. So pray for Andrew's Bridge. Uh, Amos is there this morning, kind of kicking off his ministry there. But uh, I do want to take a moment and just pray for Andrew's Bridge, and for Pastor Nate, and for everybody there at one of our sister churches, as uh, as they are kind of in a period of transition. Can we pray for a moment? Lord, I'm thankful for the ministry uh, that's been happening at Andrews Bridge for many years. I thank you um, that you have brought people to that place to learn about you and praise you and worship you and to be a light in that part of our community. Lord, I pray that you'll bless Pastor Nate and his wife Lydia as they get ready to move to California and as he goes through seminary and learns, uh, learns a little bit more about how to serve you with his life and I pray for Andrews Bridge Christian Fellowship as they just go through this time of transition, as they search for a permanent pastor, and I pray for Amos Stoltzfus and his wife Rowena as Amos ministers there over this next little while, as well as for Kendall as he prepares to preach from time to time. Thank you, Lord, that we are not alone, but that we do ministry together, and I thank you that we have this chance to celebrate that today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So, Kendall, what are you here to talk about? So... <clears throat> there's a seminar
1: that will be hosted here at Waterway. This may be news to you. So, um, A couple
0: people know. A, a, a couple, couple people, people
1: know. might know. So on January 15, the same day as the evening uh, men's event, um, you might be able to get, if you're a man, you might be able to get all your meals covered for the whole day if you come to the seminar in the morning, eat lunch here, and then come back in the evening. So what's happening is a seminar called Life, uh, Life Passages, Preparing for Life's Passages. And as you think about 2022, I wonder what life passage you might anticipate for this coming year. Maybe for you, you're looking forward to graduation. You're a young person, and that's going to be the life passage. Maybe for you, you're looking forward to retirement. Maybe it's getting married. Maybe... Uh
0: Uh-oh. See that guy at the sound booth back there? Yeah. His name's Chad Pfeiffer. Yeah, I know Chad. Yeah, but there's... There's a young lady here in a, in a pink shirt back yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Her name's Natalie Her. Yeah. Before long, her name's going to be Natalie Pfeiffer. Wow. So, so th- there's, there's one. Yeah, give Give him a hand. There's an engagement. Just Just this Whew. morning, I learned of this. this wow. Is like, this so is like this is hot off the press. Hot off the presses. So, That's good. So Chad is definitely going to want to come. To yes, the yes. Passage there you go. Workshop. There you go. Nice setup. I like that.
1: <laughs> you may have... A variety of life passages that you anticipate. I just want you to think for a moment. What might be the life passage for you in the coming year? For me personally, my oldest daughter is going to be getting married on April 30th. That's a life passage for me. Um, There's all kinds of life passages you might have. Now, how many of you, as you were thinking about the life passage for this coming year, you thought, I think in 2022, I will probably be graduating to heaven. For most of us, that was probably not what came into our mind. But the reality is, in a group this size, it's very likely that at least one of us, maybe two of us, are likely to graduate to heaven in the coming year, graduate into eternity. That's kind of a strange thing to think about. Now, do any of you know a man by the name of Barry Hostetter? Anybody? I'm just curious just how many people. Okay. So if you've never heard of Barry Hostetter, he was a man who would be around, uh, well, a a few years older than me, maybe like 10 years older than me. Um, And he uh, was at my church when I was preaching a series in January on preparing for death. Have you ever thought about preparing for death? It's kind of a strange thing to think about. We prepare for a lot of other things in life. We prepare for vacation. You prepared for your sermon today. Um, what about preparing for death? So I talked in that sermon series. I used an illustration that I've actually used in my own life. Is I, I took a jelly jar of sunflower seeds, and I counted out 365 seeds. Why 365? That's many days in a year, right? And I thought, okay... So in this coming year, I'm going to eat one of these seeds every day, and I'm going to ask God to help me be fruitful for his kingdom in that day. And then the next day, eat another seed and say, Lord, help me be fruitful in this day for your kingdom. Because what if today is my last 24 hours? And I actually wrote a book about that. But anyway, I've been thinking a lot about this for a number of years, and I have my own stories of what got me thinking about it. Um, this seminar is going to be a time for us to consider how do we prepare for all of life's passages. And there's a lady who's going to be there. She's going to be part of the seminar. Jesse's going to be there as the pastor representative. There'll be a few other uh, folks there that will help think through what does it look like to prepare for a passage of life And we're going to have the courage to prepare for the ultimate life passage. Mm -hmm. In that seminar, there's a lady who's been diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. She is a person who, her and I do a podcast together, and she is going to be the person that's going to talk through her life passage. And as we talk through that together, I'm praying and believing that God's going to help us prepare for any life passage that we may be facing. I'm confident there's principles we can learn as we prepare for the ultimate life passage to be prepared for any of life's passages. So in the back by your mailboxes is a flyer that looks like this. You can go to the website, you can register, um, and there's a, a special... Uh, family rate as well as an individual rate. And you'll be hearing
0: about that more. We'll get an email out this week that'll link you to the website and all that kind of stuff. Um, And so Kendall's here with us today. I believe he's going to be worshiping with us for a bit yet. Yes. And you'll be here after the service. uh, For a little bit. I won't rush out. If if you'd like to talk with Kendall at all about, hey, what's the deal? What's this about? Or or specifics of the day? Talk to him in the lobby afterward. Okay. Um, Now, You've given your pitch. Can I ask you a question or two? Yes, you may. Okay, so today I'm preaching on Revelation 21 and 22, last sermon on Revelation. Okay? You're talking about life passages, and you gave us the very hopeful statistic that one or two of us may graduate to heaven this year. Um, We pray that whoever that is, we will be ready. As you think about heaven, though, uh, I'll see if you can write some of my sermon for me. As you think about heaven, what do you think about? I know you've been thinking about these things lately. Kendall, when you think about heaven, what comes to mind?
1: Um, So the first thing that would come to my mind related to heaven would be uh, the the people that I'm looking forward to seeing. Okay. Um, One of the people that most recently graduated from my family would have been my grandmother uh, just last year. Um, And she's the one that I got the phrase graduation from Uh, She would often talk about when her husband had graduated, and her comment was, someday when I learn enough, I'll be able to graduate too. So I'm looking forward to seeing my grandmother, and of course, uh, being able to see Jesus face-to-face will be a tremendous, tremendous, (laughs) wonderful
0: opportunity. So one of the first things that comes to mind for you is is those relationships, Mm -hmm. the the people that you're excited to see. Yeah. All right. Is that... Is that a reflection of some of your personality here on earth as well, do you think? Because I, I'll bet there are some other people here that the first thing they thought of probably wasn't seeing a, a particular person. Is, is that relational stuff something that you really value here?
1: could be. Yeah. I mean, I do. I love, I love seeing people walking in here this morning as I see people I know. Mm-hmm.
0: It's nice to wave and shake hands. And so the way that you're built here may have a little bit of effect on the way that you think about the future. Sure. All right. Yeah. I don't think I have any other questions for you. Do you have any other questions for me? Uh, no. <laughs> all right. Well, then you can go sit down and grab a Hershey kiss on the yep. way out. Here, right. I'll take your microphone, though. You can't have that. Thank you. You No, Chad, Chad's going to have to sing some more. He's going to have to sing some more. Oh, man. Well, Kendall, thank you so much. I appreciate you uh, coming and sharing. As was mentioned here, in about uh, two and a half weeks, we'll have a fun workshop on a Saturday. You're all invited. You'll get more details about that this week, but you can mark your calendars for the 15th. Um, today, we are going to work through this final chunk of Revelation. This is a passage that I've preached about before, not so long ago. And this is a passage that I know a number of you have been talking about. Uh, how many of you have been in Pastor Steve's Sunday school class recently, talking about heaven and talking about those things? So, there's a lot of stuff that I'm going to talk about today that's going to sound familiar to some of you. Um, but here, as we think about Revelation, these are the last two chapters in the book that we call the Bible. Um, we're tempted to think of it just as a book, but really what we know is that this is the word of God, right? This is delivered to us. It's in the form of a book, but God speaks to us. It's interesting, um, the, the Bible starts out in a garden, and now here we are, we're ending in a city. And so the development will be complete. And so uh, I invite you to turn to Revelation chapter 21, and we're going to start in verse 1. And remember what Revelation is. This is a picture that God gave through Jesus, to John. it said in Revelation chapter 1, actually, that that Jesus gave this revelation to John so that John could be a witness and share it specifically with seven churches that existed just about 2,000 years ago in, in Asia Minor. And we talked about those seven churches. They're listed in Revelation 1 and 2 and 3. And so there's a revelation that's given through John. He's to write it down and talk about it. And it's for those seven churches. And we get to be kind of eavesdroppers, because certainly God knew that his word would endure and that we would read it years later. But primarily, and first of all, it was written to these people who lived and worshiped in these seven churches. And so there's imagery that they may understand that we may be a little bit foggy about. If God would have specifically addressed it to the people in Oxford in 2021, there may have been some different language, there may have been some different symbols, but we trust that the meaning would have been the same. And what is that meaning? The meaning is, is that God is at work through Jesus Christ. We've been seeing this all over and over and over again through the scripture. God is at work to bring people to him. It is not God's will that people perish. God doesn't want to send people to hell. God doesn't want people to die not knowing him. God wants people to know him. God wants us to turn away from our old lives the messes that we've made of them. And God wants us to turn through him. He made that possible by sending Jesus Christ to this earth 2,000 years ago. And he continues to make it possible. And the book of Revelation tells us that even in the very end times, when God begins to deliver his judgment in really dramatic ways, that God is still going to make it possible, continuing to call out to people saying, turn from your wicked ways, turn to the Lord, so that no one, no one will have any excuses that is what Revelation is pushing us towards. God is doing something powerful, wants us to be a part of it, but gives humans the opportunity to reject him if we'd like. So here is, here is the end of the book of Revelation. We can see here in Revelation 21.1, more of this prophetic thing. Then I saw, right? This is the vision that John was given. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. The first heaven and the first earth, that's what we live with now. We are living right now on the first earth. God right now is in the first heaven. Jesus is in the first heaven. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Again, this is what John is seeing, and he sees this city of God, a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. So who lives in that new heaven? One of the things that's really helpful for me as I read through the Bible and just do studies is to ask questions about everything. I love asking questions. And these are the questions that I have as I read these first couple verses. Well, why isn't there any more sea? There's a new heaven and a new earth, but we're told in verse Number one, that there's no more sea. Why not? Well, it's so that we don't have to go to the beach anymore. That's what heaven is like. No, the sea on earth is often, is often a wild place. The sea is a mysterious place. Wouldn't it be something to see the bottom of the sea floor if it were all dried up and uncovered? Apparently, that is kind of what we're headed towards. says in Revelation 21.1, there is no sea. That's a little bit of a mystery, isn't it? It's going to be interesting to see what that's like when we get there. As I continue to ask questions, I I say, okay, right now we're in the era of the current, the first earth, and, and God is in the first heaven. Well, who lives in the new heaven? Because it says here that God's dwelling place is going to be among the people, Right? And so there's this picture, this new Jerusalem coming down out of the new heaven to the new earth and, and God will dwell with his people and I guess God is everywhere so we don't have to localize him in any one place but who's in the new heaven? Well, I, I don't, is that, where the, is that where the angels hang out? Is that, boy, this is gonna be really interesting to see, right? It says in verse four. Oh, this I don't have so many questions about, this I just get excited about. It says that God will wipe away the, every tear from their eyes. From whose eyes? Well, in verse three, it says, all of the people who are God's people, all who have turned away from their sin, who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and received God's free gift of salvation. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. See, death hangs over all of us here on this earth. It does things to us that we don't even think about. Not only does it set us up for seminars in January where we can talk about graduating to heaven. I mean, that makes us prepare, right? But it also brings certain people a certain kind of rush. I've been noticing lately as I thumb through Netflix more adventure documentaries are coming up. You can see documentaries about guys climbing faces of incredible rock walls in Yosemite with no ropes, and they can make an hour and a half, half long documentary about it. Just the other week while I, was, while I was working in the basement, I watched a guy who wanted to, who wanted to um, kayak four main rivers over in Nepal or in Afghanistan, that whole area up in the Himalayas. And, and it's places where people have never been on these rivers before. And one of his things that he was doing was wanted to kayak down these rivers that just look like death. And in fact, there were people on their expedition that died trying to do this. Why do people do this? Well, there are all kinds of reasons why people might explore that way, but part of it, honestly, is the adrenaline, right? And where does adrenaline come from? Adrenaline is what kicks in when we feel like we are in a dangerous situation close to death. In heaven, there will be no more death. Well, what's that like? Is there any more adventure? I mean, could it be fun if I can't almost die? That's how some of you live, right? Right? It's not fun unless this could really go south quickly. Well, God's going to remake our hearts. We're going to be built a different way. But see, death hangs over us in ways that we often don't think about in the new heaven. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. See, it's not just for us, but we're not going to mourn because we won't lose anyone else either. It's not just about you and I getting to live forever. It's about all of us getting to live forever. And so there is no more death, but there's also no more mourning because I'm not going to lose that person I'm so close to. I'm not going to miss that person that I can't see anymore because they will be there. There'll be no more crying. Well, crying comes from the overflow of our emotions when things are just not right. And there will never be a day in the new heaven and new earth when things are not right. And there'll be no more pain. Because pain is a consequence of bad things that happen to us. See, that's all old order stuff. Death, mourning, crying, and pain. With all of the old order Amish around us, we should be able to understand the old order and the new order. God says, you're living now in the old order, but I've got a new order with no more death, no more mourning, no more crying or pain. And in verse 5, John says, He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. So then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. It's not just for John to see this. He says, John, you need to tell people about this. Because remember, this was written almost 2,000 years ago to a particular place in a particular time with a particular setting. It's for us as well, because it's been preserved by God's Holy Spirit for us. How many 2,000 year old documents are really still around for us to examine? Not very many. And yet God has preserved his word so that we get to read it. All of us have an opportunity to read what John saw. At the time of John's revelation, chronologically, I mean, God is outside of time, but God at that time was still on his throne in heaven. And notice what it says in Revelation 5. What did God say? He didn't say, I will make everything new, did he? Did he say, I will make everything new? No, what did God say here? It's the second line on the screen that you're looking at. God said, what? 2,000 years ago, God said, I am making everything new. New. Why is it important for God to say that to John, for John to rely that to us? It doesn't mean that everything's already new. It doesn't mean that God's saying, there's a time coming when I'm going to start making things new. God said 2,000 years ago, I am making everything new. God is at work, and we should know this. Why? Because you are here. You are here. How many of you, a week ago, a year ago, or a decade ago, would have just laughed if somebody said, well, you know, on December 26, 2021, you're gonna be sitting at a church right off Waterway Road. How many of you would say, eh, not me? How many of you had ever said, you know, the church will burn down if I ever walk in there? How many of you ever said, I don't have time for that, I don't need that, that religion thing, that God thing, that Jesus thing, just not for me? I mean, you've been there, right? So why are you here today? Because God is making you new. Ever since the time of John, I mean, John wrote this down a couple of decades after Jesus died. And Jesus worked through the dying on the cross to offer us new life. Through rising from the grave to give us power to defeat death. Through his work, Jesus Christ offered us new lives. Jesus said, I'm going to give you a new heart I'm going to make you new. And hear God saying through John, look, I'm, I'm making all things new. It's not all coming on day one. Things arrive in a certain chronology. But God said 2,000 years ago in Revelation 21.5, I am making everything new. God didn't say he will. He said he is making everything new. It's happening already. And notice that it doesn't say, it doesn't say that God will make all new things he says I'm making all things new there is restoration happening here God can make anything he wants to God can make everything out of nothing but what God is doing is working through us as he has been for these millennia through Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit God is working through us to make us new things how many of you here are new creatures yes you are If you are saved, you are new. You are not the same as you were before you confessed your faith in Jesus Christ. And a few of you here feel like you're still old creatures. There are a couple of you in this room right now. There are a couple of you watching on video and you are still in that spot where you have not given your life to Jesus yet. You've not been convinced yet. You haven't believed yet. You just don't buy it yet. And so you're walking in that oldness of life and you can feel it when you are honest with yourself, you know that you feel old. You feel off. You feel worn. Now, those of us who are saved from time to time, we feel old too, and we feel off, and we feel worn because we live in a difficult world. But let me tell you, let me tell you the power of a new life in Christ. The kind of change that happens inside of us that suddenly, even though it makes no material sense, we're not just living for ourselves anymore, we're living for others. That even though it makes no economical sense, we are giving of what we have so that others can have more. This thing that says, you know, it really doesn't fit in my schedule, but God, you're calling me to do something, and so I'm going to do it for you, and I'm going to trust that it's going to work out. That's new life. That's the kind of stuff that so many of you here are living with. And then the hope of knowing that even if you do graduate from this life, that you're graduating to something that matters and that's meaningful and that's exciting. Are there any of you in this room right now who feel like when this life is over, you've got nothing? Let me tell you, there is hope. And it's talked about right here in Revelation. No more death, no more mourning, no more crying and no more pain. God is making all things new. God said to John in verse 6, he said, it's done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Those who are victorious, how are you victorious? Well, over and over in Revelation, John has been talking about people who continue to stand up for their faith in the face of all kinds of challenges, in the face of persecution and pain, in the face of punishment, even in the face of death, people standing up saying, no, I follow the Lord. I will not bow down to anything or anyone else. Those who continue to stand, those are the ones who are victorious. And some of us in this life and some of our ancestors haven't had to face that kind of persecution. But in their lives, as they and as we continue to stand up for Jesus, whatever it is that we face, we will be victorious as well. And if we, are in, if we are victorious, we will inherit all of this. God will be our God, and we will be his children. We can drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, all liars they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. And so there is a new life for all who follow the Lord. But for all of those who fall into this category in chapter 8, this is no surprise. I mean, all of Scripture talks about this, even from 1,500 years before Jesus. These things were warned about, talked about. The Ten Commandments encapsulate all these things. God says, don't do this. Don't live this way. If you're living this way, it's contrary to what I'm calling you to. God says, you give your life to me. You live for me. There is salvation for you because you'll be victorious. But for all of you who turn away from me, all of you who reject me, there will be a fiery lake of burning sulfur. That is the second death. And then in verse 9, it says, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues If you're just showing up with us here today or just checking in for the first time, go back and read some of what we preached about. Listen to what we preached about in Revelation 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. You'll hear about these seven angels. Well, one of those seven angels said to John, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. This must be a busy angel. Not only... Was he holding one of these bowls of wrath? But now he gets to show John a glorious sight. John says, He carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. So this is Jerusalem coming out of the new heaven to the new earth. Verse 11, it says, It shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations. On them were written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And so the 12 tribes of Israel are commemorated. The 12 apostles who helped get the word of Jesus out into the world are commemorated. There are these walls because that kind of hems in the city. The city has a boundary. The angel who talked with me, verse 15, had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. The angel measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. And so not only is this city a square, it apparently is a cube It's as wide and as high as it is long, right? 12,000 stadia each way. A couple of months ago, we talked about how far is 12,000 stadia. It's about 1,400 miles. From where we are sitting today, Dallas, Texas is about 1,400 miles away. That's one side of the city. And we're told the city is that long on one side. In fact, it's that long on four sides. And it is that tall as well. This is a big area. Now, because I just like messing around with stuff. Here's what I learned this week. If you take 1,400 miles by 1,400 miles, and if you multiply it by six because there are six surfaces on a cube, that means that that 1,400 mile by 1,400 mile by 1,400 mile city has about 14.6 million square miles. This city coming down from God. For reference, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, whoa, whoa. I read. Oh, I gave you the punchline. Ah. Sorry. Post Christmas fry 1400 times 1400 times 1400 equals 11.7 some of you are already on your phones aren't you 11.7 million square miles is this new city the moon has 14.6 million square miles on it new city 11.7 square miles the moon 14.6 this new city coming down out of heaven it's 80 percent the size of the moon i don't know why that i just thought that was cool You could probably find something else. Here you go. I'll give a giant candy bar to the person this week who can come up with the most interesting, you know, 1,400 miles by 1,400 is about the size of this. I thought 80% of the moon was pretty cool. That's how big this city is, where God's dwelling place will be so that God can be with the people. That's a lot of space. That's an awfully big city. God says, I've got room for everybody. Won't you come? This isn't a little tiny city that we have to crowd into and, and live like it's some kind of a slum. Where are we all going to fit? No, God says, look what I'm making for you. How glorious is this city? Well, we measure it with gold, not a little tape measure. I mean, tape measures, those are wonderful. And tape measures can be a lot of fun. But we're not talking about Stanley or Milwaukee. God says, I've got a gold measuring rod because we're not going to measure this thing with anything less than the best. What else does it look like? Well, this will get your imagination humming if it's not already. The angel measured the wall using human measurement, and it was 144 cubics thick. That's about, that's about 200 feet. 200 feet thick could be read as 200 feet high, but it's a big wall. The wall was made, and here we get into some stuff that may or may not be exciting for you. I mean, it's not as thrilling as a diamond on the finger, but... The wall was made of jasper, the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city were decorated with every kind of precious stone. First foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third was agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth barrel. the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. It's a great street. It's hard to imagine pure gold like that, isn't it? Any of you wearing a piece of that kind of pavement today? John says, remember, he's telling us what he saw, right? He says, I didn't see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city doesn't need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. And now we see a bit more... About what the people are doing. It says in verse 24, the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. Who are these people? The nations and the kings. I mean, there are nations and kings who were talked about earlier in Revelation. They seem like they're kind of like the bad guys. There are nations and kings who are talking about they've been deceived by Satan and they follow after him. And we know that when Jesus comes back, he wipes out all things that are evil. So there is no one bad around anymore. But we're told these nations, apparently these seem to be people, maybe, maybe they're living on this new earth because the city's only 11.7 million square miles. This new earth seems to be much bigger than that. These nations are walking by the light of the city. The kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. Well, you remember what God did when he created Adam and Eve, right? What did God say to Adam and Eve in the garden way back in the beginning of the Bible, in the beginning of human time? What did God say to them? Before they were fallen, before they had sinned, before they had eaten from the tree, before all that, what was their job? God said, be fruitful and multiply. Basically telling them, like you know, fill this place up, let there be people in this world. And when there are people, there tend to be Eventually, civilizations, there are leaders, there are people who are in charge of it. I get this picture. Now, we're going to have to see when we get there. But I get this picture. All these folks who are saved, I mean, many will end up and and can go in and out of this huge, almost moon-sized city. But there's a whole earth to explore. There's not even any sea there. What do people do for eternity with a new earth? Well, what was God's purpose in the beginning? Fill up this earth and give glory to God. I I get this picture of people for eternity filling up the earth, and the kings of the nations, not kings who have to keep up people under their feet, but the people like, well, somebody's got to be in charge. Somebody's got to take all this awesome stuff to the city. We've got to get God's glory there. All the produce, all the good stuff of the earth. Well, the nations will walk by its light. The kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. Continuous offerings to God. From all around the world. Now, that's a little bit of imagination, I understand it, but these are the kind of questions I like to ask. Who are these folks? What are they doing? Forever is an awfully long time. Well, if there's no more curse, no more death, no more crying, no more pain, no more weeds, no more varmints, and if the kids can stick their hands right in among the snakes and it doesn't matter, and the bears and the cows and the oxen and all the anteaters are just all living, to, what are eaters going to eat? Not ants. Hey, you think about this stuff? I mean, you can drive yourself batty asking these kinds of questions, but who are these kings? It seems like there are good kings now leading the good people of the earth, and there's all kind of splendor in this new earth. You ever look over one of those fields that you planted when it's just about ready to harvest and get that kind of satisfaction, like, oh, look at those amber waves of grain. You ever do that? You ever just plant a garden, and some of that garden ends up on your plate, and you say, oh, thank you, God. Maybe the strawberries that you picked end up in a, in a Sunday that you made. That, that's, I mean, that, that's like small picture glorious, isn't it? I mean, can you imagine a whole big earth? Just continue, hey, here God, have some of this. We've been farming over there, have some of this. God, we've been building over there, have some of that God here for your glory. That, that's kind of what I picture when I picture the kings of the earth bringing their splendor into the city. Look at verse 25. We get more of a picture of who these people are or who they're not because on no day will the city's gates ever be shut. See, these gates are not for protection. They don't need to keep the bad people out. There are no bad people. They don't need to keep the evil away. There is no evil. The gates will never be shut. They just have gates because sometimes it looks really cool to have gates. Have you ever driven up and down the roads across some of these developments here in our neighborhood? We've got some neighbors who have gates in front of their places, right? Is it really security or is it just Kind of cool. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. God continues as he has been all through Revelation just saying, people, come to me. Come to me. You guys out there on the new earth, you're doing stuff, just come to me. Bring it on in. We got a huge city here. Bring in your splendor. Bring in your glory. Well, verse 26, the glory and honor of the nations will be brought into this city. That sounds pretty cool. There's glory and honor happening all over this new earth. Have you thought about this much? You know, sometimes sometimes we get this picture of what do we do for eternity? Well, we strum our harps and we sing in the angel chorus. Now, maybe you are one of those people who's built in such a way that you say, that sounds wonderful. I would love to play in God's orchestra. I would love to sing in God's chorus. Maybe some of you say, you know what? I'd much rather go out to that place where there's no longer any sea and just let me get in the dirt and let me plant something and that'll be glorious, and you can bring that splendor to the Lord. And some of you say, yeah, but there's some forest out here, and I'd love to build something. And so you get to building with the gifts that God has given you, and you bring it to the Lord and say, Lord, here's our splendor. Here's the best of what we've got. That sounds exciting to me. I like music. I like playing instruments, and I like singing. But not all the time. Verse 27, this city, nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does, does, I'm sorry, nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. These people whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, these are the ones who are saved, these are the ones who are victorious, because everyone who's not victorious has been wiped out. Revelation 22, it says, The angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, We've heard of that before, haven't we? It's opened up now. It's not guarded any longer. Bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face. His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. It says that a couple times here, doesn't it? No more night there. Always daytime. Don't need to sleep. It's all just living they will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. The Lord says, look, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy written in this scroll. And then John kind of wraps up. He says, I, John, I'm the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. This is like the third time in Revelation that John said, John, who knew Jesus? John, who knew that you shouldn't worship anybody else? John said, I, I just had, felt like I had to worship. But the angel said, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of this scroll. Worship God. Then he told me, don't seal up the words of this prophecy of this scroll because the time is near. Words like soon and words like near wrap around in our heads all the time. We say, well, soon to me seems different than soon to the Lord. Yes, it is with the Lord. A day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. So soon, this is happening. So that should encourage us to be ready, because it's happening soon. The time is near Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who does right continue to do right. Let the holy person continue to be holy. Look, verse 12, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. I will give to each person according to what they have done. See, salvation is by grace alone. We are saved just because we believe in Jesus. But rewards are given according to conduct. You live this life well, you, you eat your sunflower seed and you dedicate yourself and you think about it, well, you are storing up treasures in heaven. Now, if you are a scoundrel still eating that sunflower seed, well, that's a shame. There's no hope for you. But for those of us who are saved in the Lord, the good things that we do, they, they are credited to us. And God says here very clearly, I'll give to each person according to what they have done. God says, I'm the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates to the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, everyone who loves and practices falsehood. What does this outside mean? I know I'm running out of time. Hang in with me here, church, as we kind of wrap this up. Hell still exists somewhere for eternity. It's not on this new earth. It's not in this new heaven. But there is still hell somewhere. In Revelation 14:11. We're told that hell and torment is forever and ever. There is no thought of annihilation for those who don't believe in the Lord. These who are outside, outside of what? These who are outside of God's presence, these who are outside of the new heaven, the new earth, and the city of Jerusalem, outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral. They're they're out. They're out forever, and there's no more invitation to come in. This ought to cause us to take our lives and our decisions seriously. Verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. We need to be careful about the things that we dream about, the things that we imagine. We need to be careful about the things that we assume. Don't add anything to Scripture. But don't take anything away either. If anyone takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life in the holy city, which are described in this scroll. He who testifies to these things say, yes, I am coming soon. Amen, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. There's a group of young pastors I meet with on a pretty regular basis, and one of those pastors is Tony Murn. Tony's the pastor at Mount Vernon Christian Church, just about eight miles up Route 472. A couple of weeks ago, we were meeting. Christmas time had started, and and the, the guys were were talking about some of the Christmas songs that were starting to pop up on the radio and. And Tony said, I want to preach a sermon that says, yes Mary knew. Because over and over that song Pentatonix really made it popular the last couple of years, but Mary did you know? You've heard this song, right? Did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water or save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make us new, the child that you delivered will soon deliver you, Mary did you know? And Pastor Tony said, yes Mary knew. Mary knew. It says in the scripture that the angel came and spoke to her and said that you will, you will have a son and he will be great. It says in Matthew that, or in, I'm sorry, in Luke 1, that he'd be the son of the most high. The angel spoke to Mary and said that he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Yes, Mary knew. And so every time the last couple of weeks of this song comes up, I say to Melanie, oh, Mary knew. And Melanie says, be quiet. She didn't probably know everything. I said, but Mary knew because it just strikes me as such a neat idea for a sermon. And she said, but maybe Mary didn't know that he was going to walk on water. Did the angel tell her everything? Did the angel tell her every detail about Jesus? I said, oh, she knew enough. (laughs) So we've kind of had this back and forth going for a couple of weeks. I like to be grumpy about these things. But it strikes me that there's a connection there for us. Mary, did you know? Yeah. There's a lot that she knew. She knew enough to be faithful, to say yes to God, to receive Jesus Christ, to accept Him apparently into her life as her Savior. She knew enough to be who God wanted her to be. Did she know everything before it happened? Probably not. That would have been a long announcement. Church, do you know? Do you know everything about the future? Now that we've studied Revelation, you have it all sorted out? Probably not all of it. Do you still have questions? Yeah. When we meet each other in heaven, are we going to look at each other and say, oh, Steve, we talked about, we knew that it was going to be great, but I didn't have any idea it'd be anything like this. Are we going to have that kind of conversation? i bet we will. There are things that we, no matter how much we study and pray, there are things that we cannot know now, but do we know enough? Do you know enough? As you read the scripture, as you live through this life, as you observe how people are living and how they're not, as you pray to the Lord, as you consider your life, do you know enough to say yes to God? Do you know enough to say, okay, I don't don't get all this prophecy, but I can see that God is pointing us towards something good and following God is better than anything else. Do you know enough to say, God, I'm with you? You should. We're told in other parts of the scripture that that we know everything we need to know for salvation. After that, everything is faith. We live with a faith that says, God, I don't understand it all, but I trust you and I love you and I'll live for you. That's the invitation for you today. And every day until you graduate to heaven or the Lord comes back, God's invitation to all of humanity is come to me. You may not have everything sorted out. You may not know everything about the future, but God says, I've shown you enough. Now come to me. And church, that's the invitation. That's the invitation. Come to the Lord. If you already know the Lord really well, praise God for that and continue to live your life in such a way that you are storing up for yourself treasures in heaven. If you don't know the Lord yet, let me encourage you to make that step today to take that step, to to give your faith to God, to say, yes, I will live for you, Lord. I don't understand all of it, but I'm gonna commit my life to you. I'm gonna live the way you call me to live and I'm gonna trust that everything works out. I encourage you to make that choice today and receive God's gift of everlasting life. That's the encouragement. I'm sorry, it took me too long to say all of that today. Thank you for your patience. But I want to make sure that all of you know what you need to know so you can believe and live the way you need to believe and live because heaven is waiting. Will you pray with me? Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for giving us this glimpse of what will be, for giving us this, this description and, and this, th- this framework of, of a new heaven and a new earth and a big old city and the splendor of the nations. Lord, Lord, you've given me enough of a taste to be excited about what is yet to come even though there's a lot I don't understand. God, I thank you for that hope that you've planted in me. And Lord, I thank you that you've planted that same hope in so many folks here. So many folks here in our fellowship, so many other folks who are worshiping in other great churches this morning. Lord, I am so thankful that we can worship and celebrate and and get excited and look forward together. Uh, I'm thankful that we have the opportunity to plan for all of our transitions and our graduations and not have to be afraid. I'm thankful, Lord, that we can that we can rely on you and lean on you and we can look around and see testimony after testimony of people who have leaned on you and you've always provided what they need. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. As we move forward from this place today, help us to serve you well and love you well and live the way you've called us to live. Help us look forward to our heavenly home, but live well here on this earth as we continue to spread your message of hope and joy to all we come in contact with.